All right, it is Women of Strength Wednesday, and boy, have we got an episode for you today. This is episode number 88 of the VBAC Link podcast, and today we are so excited to be talking with Nicole. And Nicole has a fun story, as they all do, but I am particularly invested in Nicole's story because we were messaging on social media before her baby was born and she was induced we were messaging I think the morning of her induction and then after her birth she messaged me and I'm like can you just call me I want to hear all about your story and so we talked on the phone and I just loved her story so much and so naturally we had to invite her on the podcast to share it with everybody but before we get into Nicole's story Megan has a really fun review of the week for us Yes, I do. And this is from Elizabeth Garcia. And this is just a little side note. This is actually one of my clients. Yes, I do know that. Um, <laughs> we call her Beth. Yes. <laughs> so this is from Beth. And she wrote it on Google. If you didn't know, we are on Google. And she says, as a birth doula and mom, I am always referring clients for information to the VBAC link for incredible stories to lift my VBAC clients up and make them know there are others who have successfully VBAC'd and for advice, information, and statistics. I turn to the VBAC link. Thank Yay. you so much, Beth. You know what? I think it's so fun when um, there's people that knew us before we made the yes. VBAC link and they still like the VBAC link. You know, does that, is that sound yeah. silly? Like people, because most of the people in our lives, they don't use doulas. They, they birth systemically I would say like they go into the system and do what their provider says and so like I think it's really fun when there's people that knew us before that mm -hmm. are really excited about what we're doing right now because most of the people just aren't or they don't get it or it's not or not really applicable to them and so I don't know I think it's just extra it's special fun. when we get reviews from people we know because yeah. it, is, it is fun it's yeah. fun and we appreciate the support from all the people in our local community I think it makes it yeah like I just said extra special. special for us to yeah. hear from you guys especially so thanks for your local support and thank you for all the listeners that are all over the world and if you haven't already make sure you leave us a review because guess what this one's from google yes we haven't had a google review in a little and while and we love to read them we love to read them yeah. so leave us a review and you will be on the podcast i'm sure at some point <laughs> we will make sure you are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited for you to hear Nicole's story today. It's something that a lot of people, I think, can relate to because her first cesarean was due to a breech baby or malpositioned baby. Sometimes these babies get in funky positions and either have to have scheduled C-sections or end up laboring and then need a c-section but the cool thing about nicole's story is she was induced with her v-back at 37 weeks and her cervix was not favorable mm -hmm. um 
but she she did it and her story is really exciting and I'm not going to tell it for her. <laughs> I solemnly swear I will not share Nicole's story for her. So before I just start jabber, jibber jabbering all about her story, I'm just going to go ahead and turn over to her. So Nicole, are you ready to share your incredible stories with us? I'm ready. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. <clears throat> so um, I will start with my first birth. And um, like Julie said, I had a C-section with my first pregnancy because of a breech presentation. But kind of going through the pregnancy, what I will say is like I've heard so many times here before is that I was just not really educated about birth itself. And I had a doula, and I remember in one of our prenatal meetings, she was trying to explain to me, like, all the position, all the things that need to happen, like the baby needs to descend and turn and the head needs to be this way and tucked in, tin tucked in. And she tried to explain all that to me and I just could not understand what she was saying. It just sounded like a foreign language. So I, you know, had a doula, but I still think that I was not educated about birth. And my first pregnancy, I tried to go through a midwife group at our local university uh, hospital but I risked out because of my blood pressure. So I have chronic hypertension, and when I went in for my first visit, I remember my blood pressure was like 173 over 130 or something crazy Whoa, high. Oh, that's yes. high. And so, <laughs> right? So they were like, uh, no, you need to go across the hall to the maternal fetal medicine specialist. And so I saw her, and I decided it was that I needed to, like, get on medication because I wasn't on any medication or anything. I wasn't controlling it. I wasn't even watching it. I just knew that, like, in my history, I'd had high blood pressure before. So apparently it was there when I got pregnant. And so I started seeing the specialist, and I saw her as, like, my regular OB. Like, I had my every four week and weekly and, I mean, biweekly and then ultimately weekly appointments with her. And I totally thought that that all the all of the uh, monitoring, if you will, that she did, all the testing, I totally thought that was normal. So when the baby, our baby turned breech, or he was breech and he didn't, and he, he turned head down at one point, and then she started to talk to me about inducing and taking the baby at 37 weeks because of my blood pressure, but my blood pressure was really controlled while I was pregnant. So I think that really upset me, and I think that my baby turned back head up after a series of appointments where it was just kind of like all this pressure to get the baby out. And so he was head up, but I was determined to go into labor on my own. So what happened was that my last prenatal appointment, his heart rate started to decelerate. I was able to go back to the midwife group because my blood pressure was controlled at that point. And they sent me over to the to labor and delivery at the hospital. And then when I got to the hospital, the OB on call looked at me and said, you have superimposed preeclampsia. We need to take the baby now. We should do a C-section because he was back breech. And I told her no. And so I had to sign out against medical advice. But it was, I guess, what was necessary because that, ne like, that was like, okay, I left the hospital maybe at like 4 o'clock. At 3 a.m., I went into labor on my own. So I started to have contractions, and I labored for three days, um, but the contractions never got really 
strong, if you will, because he, he just wasn't, his butt wasn't pushing. I don't know if he was Frank Breach. I don't think he was. I think he was footling. But even that, like, I couldn't wrap my head around asking the doctor, well, is he Frank Breach? Is he footling? You know, I couldn't even think about that. So he never pushed down on my cervix, and my contractions never got super strong or very close together. And so when I got to the hospital, because I had been in labor for, like, two days already or three days, something like that, I went to the hospital, and I was just, like, totally at peace with them performing a C-section. So it was a very you know, peaceful experience, it's the after <laughs> that was not peaceful mm-hmm. because what what happened was that the reason why the doctor wanted to take the baby earlier was because my baby had been measuring small for, like, most of my pregnancy. Now, I'm 5'2", and my husband is 5'7", and so we think or we thought it was because of our genetic makeup why this baby was measuring small. And so when he was born, he was a five-pound baby, and that meant an immediate trip to the NICU. So I, you know, he they, they delivered him, and they brought him to my space, and then he was off, and my husband went with him. So I was super grateful that I had Zula because she stayed with me in the OR, and she stayed with me in the OR while no one acknowledged what had just happened. So I had doctors and residents, you know, talking about their vacation plans and their weekend plans. And I'm like, I just gave birth and I don't know what my kid is. And that's all that they were talking about. No one no one talked to me. No one acknowledged that I was there except for my doula. She held my hand and she kept looking me in my eyes and like holding my, you know, holding my head and saying, you're doing great. Because, oh, by the way, they strapped down my arms. Yeah. So like... You know, so it was, like, really, really crazy. So after my C-section, I again, like, just like a lot of us, everyone else got to hold my baby before I did. So my mom came, my mother-in-law came, my sister-in-law came, mm-hmm. my husband was in the NICU with him. Like, everyone got to see and touch him before I did. And I didn't see my baby until, like, maybe three or four hours after I delivered. And thank God again for my doula because my doula totally harvested some colostrum in the in a spoon and like ran to the NICU to feed my baby my colostrum Aww. because I was separated. I know because I was separated from him for so long. That's so sweet. it's really sweet, and I'm grateful that we you know we 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 had her on our team. But like I will say, I just left that birth like so dissatisfied with birth and with the birth experience. And this time around, I just wanted things to be different. So. Like, this time around, when we knew we wanted to start trying for another baby, I wanted to go and find a provider that was VBAC supportive and that knew, had some familiarity with chronic hypertension and could tell me, like, exactly, like, what to expect, you know, because with the first birth, with my first pregnancy, I felt like we were, I felt like we were going along and my blood pressure was controlled and then at the very last minute, my OB Jen was like, "Oh no, we need to induce you, or you need to we need to deliver you via C-section." And it it was very abrupt, and it felt like, "Where did this come from?" Mm-hmm. Because I thought that my blood pressure being controlled was enough, you know. So this time around, I met with a few providers before we even got pregnant to just just try and get a feel of different hospital policies, different providers, see who who kind of meshed well. 
and I knew I wanted to go for a VBAC. So I had some providers telling me, oh, well, we can try for a VBAC. And when I would hear that, it would just like would make me cringe mm-hmm. because I'm like, when you're telling me the way you're saying it to me, it's like, eh, you're like, yeah, I guess. But you're not like feeling it in your bones like I'm yeah. feeling it in my bones, yep. you know? And so I was just like, okay, um, what can what can I do? What can I do? And so I divide, I ended up, you know, settling on a provider. And in that time between, like, when I was, like, meeting with providers and when I actually had my first prenatal appointment, my husband and I were having a conversation, and somehow he told me that my son, when he was in NICU, tried to latch on to him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, when he told me that, it, like, broke my heart. And yeah. I think that was, like, what fueled me so hard to just say, no, I'm I'm going to do this. Like, I, I have to do this. I have to do this. Like, I know that, like, you know, if, if my baby was small, like, she would have to go to the NICU anyway. But it was just something about that separation period while I was in recovery that I feel added fuel to the fire as far as, you know, him trying to latch on to my husband and us being separated for so long. So I was like, I need, I, I have to get this back. So I met with the provider when, you know, my first prenatal appointment and asked her a bunch of questions. I think ICANN has like a list of questions that you can ask your provider. And I went through them. And one of the things that I will say was a red flag was that she mentioned that I could do, do a VBAC calculator. And so I was like, mm, because that was one of the red flags that, like, that was on the ICANN link or the ICANN thing was like, you know, if they if they ask they're you, they're only going off that calculator. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So, like, at the end of my first trimester, I found a Facebook group that was like a pro VBAC Facebook, like a Facebook a support group for women who wanted to do VBACs, and then. Someone in there mentioned you guys. So that's how I found Aww, the VBAC link. Yay. I know. So it was like perfect timing because like the very first episode I listened to was actually an episode with a mom of color. And you mentioned Shemisia. the VBAC calculator <laughs> and the bias towards moms of color. So yep. I'm black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. So I was like, I'm like, okay, so I'm black. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go type this in. And so I totally started playing with it and was like, oh, my God. I could not believe it. I could not believe that the numbers were changing right in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And so yep. so then I, like, really made that red flag, like, a red flag. So I was like, okay, wait, is she's like, does she know this? Does my provider know this? That thing is biased that she's, like, telling me to go use? She never used it on me and or used it for me and told me, okay, Nicole, you're, you're, you have a, you know, 30%. She never said any of that. But just the fact that she was, like, out there telling women to use it, I was like, okay, this doesn't seem right. But anyway, so that was the episode. And then, like, my next appointment with her, I started talking to her about, like, what I could expect regarding, you know, induction or, like, because I'm also advanced maternal age. So I thought that maybe I was going to need to get induced because of my age. And she's like, no. She's like, you would need to get induced because of your blood pressure. And so I I think ACOG had just come out with the latest chronic hypertension guidelines or guidance on that. And so I asked her to print it out for me, and she did. And so that was that was really helpful because mm-hmm. I was able to see that, like, the recommendation to induce 
by 38 weeks or around 38 weeks. Like, that wasn't out of line with ACOX guidelines, but I also knew that it wasn't like the Bible and it wasn't like the end-all, be-all kind of thing where I had to, if like, we could continue to monitor my blood pressure and see how it was doing. So I will say it took a while in my pregnancy for us to get to the right medication mix in order to get my blood pressure under control. Because prior to pregnancy, I was taking a water pill, and a water pill is a diuretic, and so I could no longer take that medicine when I was pregnant. And so what that ended up meaning is that there are only two medications that are safe for pregnancy, or not only two, I think it's like three medications, but one of them, methadopa, like no one really prescribes anymore. But anyway, there are like two main medications, and it took like a while for us to figure out, you know, what the right dose would be of, of, of each. But we finally got there, and that was that was good. So my second trimester was, like, you know, pretty pretty good. Like, we, we, I had a good medication rhythm going. I started my chiropractic care because I was trying to avoid a breech baby. I started, you know, doing prenatal yoga. And then I started seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And this time around, this pregnancy, this baby, she was growing, like, perfectly. She was at the 50% mark, like, the whole pregnancy. So he was really pleased, and my blood pressure was under control, so he was pleased. So fast forward to, like, my third trimester, and we get to 32 weeks, and the maternal fetal medicine specialist says, you know, everything's looking really good. You don't need to see me anymore. And, like, when he said that, it was like he graduated with Hallelujah. cum laude. Yeah. Yes. It, was yeah. Like, it was, like, so, so amazing. I was like, oh, my God, thank you. So um, we were so excited, and the baby was head down. That's what I think I want to say. So the baby was head down at 32 weeks. So I was like, okay, this is this is okay. This is working. Like my chiropractic care, my you know my yoga, everything's like working, and you know this is this is good. And then it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> and then like around 35 weeks, the baby started flipping back and forth, up, head up, head down, head up, head down. Stinger. Yes. Yes. We would go to appointments and she would be head down. And then we would go to the chiropractor. I mean, head up. And then we'd go to the chiropractor and she would be head down. So it was like really, really, really crazy. And then my blood pressure started to go up. So now I have like a baby that's flipping positions and my blood pressure starting to go up. And we're not changing my medication. So now I'm starting to get nervous that they're going to be like, no, you have superimposed preeclampsia again or try and induce me earlier than like 38 weeks. Because if you have preeclampsia, then the ACOG guidelines say, you know, 34 weeks essentially. So around that time, I talked to a doctor here who is a maternal fetal medicine specialist and he still delivers babies. And so I talked to him and it was like the best thing that I ever did because he was able to explain to me like what does it mean to have chronic hypertension like what does that mean for my pregnancy and for my birth and so what he helped me understand was that really what that means is that it's it's it determines when to to to, to birth the baby it doesn't determine how to birth the baby because this whole time I've been so freaked out because I'm like, am I going to risk out of even doing a VBAC because of my blood pressure? 
And he's like, no. He was like, once you go into labor, he was like, your labor is just like any other labor. Mm-hmm. You having high blood pressure doesn't make me manage necessarily manage your labor differently, but it does indicate when the conditions in the uterus, for are, you know, is no longer favorable for the baby. So I, I was like, that. okay. So him saying that, yeah. right? I was like, him saying that really like brought a lot of peace to the situation because at this point now it's just a matter of, okay, when are we going to deliver this baby, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was having my, you know, non-stress tests and sometimes biophysical profiles like around that time too, just to make sure that the baby was still doing well. And she was like, she, you know, she, everything was reactive. All the, you know, profiles were fine, but my blood pressure just wouldn't, behave itself <laughs> so um after one of our appointments or at one of our appointments it was really high and so the doctor was like i want you to go to labor and delivery for further for further um monitoring so we got there and my blood pressure ended up like calming down once i got to the hospital which was kind of weird because i thought it we went up in the hospital but he calmed down and so i went back went back home and then two weeks later at another appointment, the same thing, like my blood pressure was high. And that time, they had to push a little bit of IV medication in order to get my blood pressure to calm down. So at that point, then the doctor was like, you know, I think that we should induce. So let me take a step back and say that my baby was still flipping head up and head down. And mm. I, I was I was already at like 35 weeks and that was making me really nervous yeah. because the provider that I had, I knew that she was going to say, we need to do a C-section if your baby is breached. So I knew that there were other providers here in the area that deliver breech babies as a VBAC, but I didn't know if I was a candidate because of my blood pressure. So I reached out to another OB-GYN and he, we, when we met with him, he was like, I don't see a problem with it. He was like, okay, you have high blood pressure. He's like, but I can, it's okay, you can still have a, you can still deliver breach. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I said, this is a VBAC. And he said, I know. He was like, you can still deliver breach. Awesome. I know. He he went over, like, what his requirements, if you will, would be in order to deliver breach. But it was nothing that, like, was, like, too scary. I can't remember what they were now, but it, there was it was nothing, like, too too crazy or too scary. So at 36 weeks, I transferred my care from the OB that I've been seeing all my pregnancy to a new OB. And then the next week when I saw him, my blood pressure was like, was high. And he's like, you need to, we need to go ahead and induce Unicol. And at that point, like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be induced, but I could see, like, my blood pressures whenever I was in the office were really, really high. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. is like when I would go home, my blood pressure would calm down. But it was never at a low level. It was always at a borderline level. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I kept playing this game of going to the doctor's office, my blood pressure's high, they send me to the hospital, they push medication, I go home, my blood pressure's fine. You know, like, that whole cycle was just, like, too mm-hmm. much. And it was starting to, like, scare me, actually, that I was, or concern me, not scare me, but just concern me that I'm like, okay, am I just doing too much to my baby? Like, like what, like, we, we can, it's okay, it's okay. So I told him I needed a couple of days for my husband to prepare because he needed to tell his job. And the school year had just started. My, my husband's a teacher, and his, his school year had literally 
started the same day that he told me this. <laughs> the doctor mm. told me this. So I was like, he needs to, like, get a sub and, like, all this stuff, right? And so we were like, okay, we're going to do it in two days. So two days later, it was Thursday, and that Thursday we went to the hospital. We checked in, and they started me on a Pitocin. So the reason why I was so scared about getting induced at that point is because he did a cervical check, and when he did a cervical check, I was closed, hard, high, and only 40% effaced. I'm very familiar with the Bishop score, and I'm like, I don't, <laughs> that is not, is not, is not, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. So I knew that they were going to start me on Pitocin, and I had no idea how to get them to turn up the Pitocin. So I reached out to you guys because I was like, uh, I need help with this. I knew to start, I knew it was like low and slow, but I didn't know like what exactly that meant. Man, I'm a yeah. normal person, you know, so I'm like, what exactly does that mean? So mm-hmm. what that ended up meaning in my induction was that they turned up the Pitocin. They started at a two, which isn't, it wasn't like super low, but they started at a two and they turned it up by two about every two hours. That's but nice and slow. On, yeah, that's, that's yes. really good. So by Friday, the ne- by the, the next day, by Friday, that doesn't equal, you know, plus two every two hours. So somewhere along the line, I think one nurse passed along to another nurse that they shouldn't increase my Pitocin unless I told them to, which is, like, really strange or weird. But because in my birth plan, basically what it said was, like, please don't increase the medication without letting me know and us mm. agreeing to it. So. I had a few things in my birth plan, and that's what I realized. Like, I know that one nurse talks to the other and, like, you know, kind of gives patient notes, but some things got lost in translation. But anyway, so I got up to a 20 on Friday, but on Friday evening, I was still closed, completely closed, and the plan was to go ahead with the Foley bowl, but the midwife on call wasn't even sure that she could get the fully booked in at that point mm-hmm. because I was completely, I was so close, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was like, I can try, Nicole. She's like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. And I was like, well, I'm like, all you can do is try, you know? I'm like, I'm here. I've been here for a day, so what else do I have to do? <laughs> you know, like, so go ahead and try. And it hurt really badly, but mm-hmm. she got it in. And then I feel like the doctor came in something like that and like weighed it down like maybe tied it to the bed or something I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you because at that point I was in so much pain like it hurt so badly that I like I passed out so Saturday morning the Foley balloon fell out and at that point I was four centimeters I was soft the baby's at negative three station I was 90% of face so we were you know excited that we were making progress but unfortunately, the progress, like, stalled all, all day Saturday. It was a really tough day. It was like we were treading water. We tried all kinds of different positioning to bring the baby down so that she could engage and I would dilate more. But by Saturday evening, a midwife came in to do another cervical check, and I was still where I was on Saturday morning. At that, that point, is the frustrating. Break. Mm-hmm. It's super frustrating. And the doctor went to break my water, and I was like, no, because if she was malpositioned and that was, is what was causing, you know, the stalling of the labor, mm-hmm. I was really scared that she was going to get stuck there, wherever there was, you know. 
So Saturday evening after, you know, the midwife came in, the doctor came in to do another cervical check to confirm. And like while his hand was inside of me, he basically was like, I'm just going to break your water. So I'm yelling, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And he's like, you know, he, he's taken aback and he's like, why not? And so I'm like, because I'm like, you know, if you break my water and the baby is in a bad position, I'm scared he's going to get stuck there. And I reminded him, I said, remember when I, when I was going to get induced, I asked you, would I be put on a time clock? And you told me no. And so I'm like, so basically this feels now like I'm being put on a time clock. I was like, I feel Good like for you. we just need, we need to, we just need more time. Thank you. I was like, we just need more time. And so he's like, well, Nicole, he was like, something's got to give here. He's like, you're, you know, this is just, this is just too much. Because this is now Saturday night, and I've been in labor now. Or I've been the induction process has been going on for two days, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming most inductions don't take two days. I don't know, but sometimes they do. Okay. Sometimes they take four days. Yeah, especially yeah. with a body that walked in that was not ready. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. That's and that's what I just kept feeling. I was just like, okay, like I'm already at a four. I'm ninety percent of face. This girl's at a negative three station. Like things are happening. You know, medicine is doing what it's meant to do because I walked in nowhere near any of that. But I just was just like, okay, if this is what we're asking my body to do, then we need to give my body the time to do it. But he just was not he was clearly upset. So mm. after he left you know, I kind of was just sitting there because he's like, you need to come up with a game plan, essentially. And so I'm sitting there, I'm looking at my doula, I'm looking at my husband. And so I just started to try and and do different positions, right, trying to bring this baby down. So hopefully she'll engage and I start to dilate even more. And somewhere along the line, I just got so sad and just, I just felt so defeated. I just started to sob. And they're like, are you okay? You know, they, they just let me, they just let me stop. I was like, because I just could feel like this thing that I wanted so badly was just not happening. Mm-hmm. And I was trying my hardest and, you know, there was, I feel like there was nothing else I could do because I was just trying to be optimistic and just trying to keep it together and trying to bring her down. And I was talking to her the whole time, like, baby, it's time for you to come out now. You know, if you don't come out now, they're going to try and use other methods to get you out, and we don't want that, and just kind of work with the distractions, please, and just come down, come down, you know, like, don't play with your cord, don't work with mm-hmm. down, you know, um, and so I think that that sobbing is just what I needed, because, like, right after that happened, it's like, I went into labor like right away and all of a sudden the contractions were coming very close together. They were very strong to the point where like the, the next morning, so this was like maybe 11 o'clock on Saturday night and then by like 3 a.m. on Sunday morning, I was like, I think I need an epidural because this is just a lot. It was, it, I felt a pain sensation and I felt very tired. So I got a walking epidural, which, like, it kind of does, I guess it does exist because I was actually able to walk to the bathroom. That is so Um, awesome. That's pretty rare. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we we, don't see it. We don't see it. Yeah, we don't see it either. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I was just like, okay. However, I mean, like, I couldn't 
use the bat, but I didn't want to use the but it hurts so badly. So the I don't remember exactly where the where the pain sensation was and like what it dulled, but it it dulled down. I think that's basically what it, it didn't take it away completely, but it dulled it down significantly. Mm-hmm. So I rested until like Sunday morning at 6 a.m. when they came in, when the doctor came back. And when he came back, I was six centimeters dilated. I was complete, and I and the baby had descended to zero station. Awesome. And so at that point, I was like, okay. He's like, I want to break your water. And at that point, I was okay with that because I was, I'm in active labor. She's making progress. That's okay. <laughs> he broke my water. So I asked her what color of water was. She said it was clear. But I looked Good. down, and I'm like, that doesn't look clear to me. Mm. And so when she was changing the bed pad, she's like, oh, yeah, it's not clear. She's like, it's, it's, there's meconium in there. Oh. And so I'm like, oh, God, okay, here we go. So I'm like, all this, but I, but I could understand it because I'm like, this baby's been going through an induction process now for two days. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I, I, mean, you know, I understood. So anyway, so now I'm like freaking out because I'm like, okay, there's meconium. So I'm really trying to actively work to get this baby out because I know I got like maybe – you know, half a day to a day before, if if that long, before they're going to say, okay, you need to, we're going to call it, you need to have a, a, a re-PC section. So I, you know, I labored, 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 did different positions to try and get the baby to engage. And then finally, I just got so tired. I was like, I'm just going to rest. And while I was resting, I kept feeling this pressure in my bum area and, <laughs> But I thought it was hemorrhoids. I was like, I, I totally <laughs> thought it was like, I was like, oh, I'm getting hemorrhoids as, as I'm in labor. You know, like, I totally thought that's what it was. But come to find out, it was actually not. It was, you know, my baby coming down. So I was sleeping, and the nurse came in. This is like maybe like some 10-something. A nurse comes in, and she's like, I'm, I'm, I came in because the baby's heart rate starts to decelerate. So your doctor wanted me to check you and make sure and see where you are, see what's going on. And when she checked me, she's like, oh. And she picks, picks up her phone, and she calls the doctor. And she's like, um, you need to come now. And she's like, the baby's like plus three, plus four. Nice. Like, and this girl's dilated she's complete she's like uh this baby's coming like any minute now so he's like okay i'll be right there so she's like you know don't push don't do anything so but when she said it was three plus four and i was fully dilated i was like what so i sat up in bed and when i sat up in bed i felt like i had to vomit so i asked my husband quick 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 bring me a bring me a bag so i'm like start to dry heave into the bag because mind you i haven't eaten anything in a while because I just was starting to feel super nauseated. So that's mm-hmm. part of my my labor or my active labor was that I, my body started to empty everything. So I was vomiting and pooping and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So I started to dry heave, and when I was starting to dry heave, I basically could feel me, like I was pushing my baby out. And so I'm like, the baby is coming out. And the nurse is like, don't push, don't push. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not pushing. The baby is coming out. And so she looks down, and literally everyone can see this baby crowning. Awesome. So she (laughs) yells for She's like, don't, okay, Nicole, don't move, don't move. And I'm like, I'm not moving, but I'm telling you guys, the baby's just, like, coming out all on her own. And so she calls for the OB on call. They come in, but and because the baby had passed meconium, like, a team of a million people come into Mm -hmm. our room to help with the baby, right? 
but she literally is like pushing on my perineum and as she's pushing on my perineum, like the baby's head comes out and then the doctor, you know, pulls out the shoulder and gets the rest of the body out and they put her on my chest. And it was like, how did this induction that's been like three days in the making and it's just like super crazy, like it just ended with me dry heaving my baby out <laughs> and me dry that's, what, that's baby. what happened <laughs> yeah that's what that's what happened I'm like I hate to know like it was just like all of a sudden and so they put it on my chest and it was just like the most amazing feeling like it's like what I wanted so badly and it happened and you know I was just so so grateful and it was just like everything that in the pregnancy in the labor like everything was worth it because she was totally, she was here, and she was fine. She didn't aspirate. She, you know, five-pound, seven-ounce baby, and kept her blood sugar, like, levels good. And so just her temperature, so it was just amazing. She was, like, my perfect little baby. Oh, that is so exciting. So awesome. You know, I love yeah. it. I love it when providers are patient enough to let the process go for two or three days when you're coming in and your your body is clearly not ready for labor, and they start you nice and slow, um, and kind of ease your body into it, and then give you time, um, give you options. Now, granted, you did have to stand up for yourself and advocate a little bit during your your labor. She fought for it, though. Yeah, you did fight for it, but yeah. we love we love seeing, you know, these two or three day long inductions. And I know that that might sound a little bit crazy because two or three day long labor is not fun for for a birthing parent a mom a birth partner Mm -hmm. um the birth team it's just not fun but it leads to sometimes it's needed it usually sometimes it's needed good outcomes and it usually leads to good outcomes when you're just a little patient our local hospital here the university of utah hospital i joked with megan i i when we first started this business, I had not been to a birth there that was shorter than two days. All my births that I've been there was two (laughs) or three days long because they're so patient. It's kind of a double-edged sword because they are patient and it leads to great birth outcomes. But at the same time, like as a doula and as a, as a birthing parent and the birth partner, it takes some time, you know, and it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard and exhausting. But then our very first client ever to find us through the VBAC link, her labor was fast and furious, and she was only there for three hours. And so I got to experience the fast side of that hospital, and I was actually just there at a birth this morning. Well, it was last night through this morning. Um, the birth, it was an induction at 36 weeks, and they were nice and patient, and then baby's heart tones weren't doing well. And so um, I got out my fancy doula knowledge, and... We did a really cool technique from spinning babies called Walters because baby was still high in the pelvis, a minus two station. And we did Walters and this mom went from being six centimeters dilated and 80% of face and with baby at minus two station to baby being in her arms in less than 10 minutes after we did Walters. It was like the most incredible experience. Like, it was like that. You just like that. Like you said, like nurses screaming out the door for the OBGYNs. And it was just so cute because we, as soon as we were done with Walters, we slid her back up in the bed and she like got to kind of get her in like a, a sideline position so that she could labor again more comfortably. 
And then she just sits up right away and she's like, I need to poop. And her cute little husband sitting on the chair, he's like, it's baby time. And then, and then like two pushes later, baby was here. And it was just like that. Just so fast. It was slow. She, baby was at minus two station for like 12 hours. And then all of a sudden, you know, two pushes later, baby's here. After, you know, baby gets in that sweet spot and your body's ready and then you're good. You know, and I think um, in addition, I think one of the things that stand out to me in your story is you got vulnerable and let go. You yep. let go of your fear, your stress, everything that you were hibernating inside, and you had a good cry fest. Yes. And then yeah. your body was like, okay, I'm good. I'll do this now. <laughs> and yeah. I... I have seen that before where women yep. just like break down and like let it out, let it all out. Like let's if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. If you don't, like I'll cry with you. Let's just let's get it all out and then labor just shifts really quickly. And I I feel like I heard that in your story and and it's just yeah. so powerful what our mind and our body can do together. And if we've got a lot of pressure and a lot of things happening and people wanting to do things that we don't want them to do to us, we can easily kind of just hold things in yeah, and then once we let it go you know that's when the magic happens you your body yeah. your body was like okay i accept so i love it i love your story and i really we appreciate you sharing that with us because it's it's awesome you know dry heave your baby out yeah dry, <laughs> dry heave that baby no, out. I, totally, <laughs> I totally appreciate you ladies giving me opportunity to share and you know because like i'm like i don't know how many moms out there have chronic hypertension and I just you know to me it's just so important to know that it's possible like we can have different medical conditions and you know having high blood pressure isn't necessarily one of the reasons why you don't have you know you can't have a feedback and that not always does high like one thing I will say is that not always does high blood pressure lead to preeclampsia it's a really tricky line yeah thank goodness this provider recognized the difference. He never said, Nicole, he has super close preeclampsia when he took the trial magnesium, blah, blah, blah. You know, he was just like, no, you have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, you know, period, end of story kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that was I love really, that. you know, yeah, it was that. really cool about him. Yeah, that's good. And that's why it's so important to have a supportive team that you communicate with ahead of time, well in advance about your expectations and your needs and that you're clear and that you're not afraid to remind them of those needs and those conversations while you're in labor. So I think you did an amazing job standing up for yourself. We have lots of really good resources on our blog for um, baby positioning and how to prevent breech babies. But what I really want to talk about is a really good tool for you to use to make sure that your baby has plenty of room to get in whatever position it needs to come out of you in is a doula. Mm -hmm. Doulas know lots and lots of (laughs) tricks to get that baby in a good position um, before labor starts and to correct positions during labor. So I know um, we've both seen those things where we've used um, lots of spinning babies techniques, walchers, abdominal lifts, you know, even sidelining the mile circuits, another great tool. There's lots of really cool exercises we just learned at the evidence-based birth conference that helps um, loosen up the connective tissues in your pelvis 
and lots of really, really, really cool things. So if you haven't had a chance to check out our VBAC doula directory by now, you should. You can find a VBAC trained and certified doula by yours truly, me and Megan, at the vbaclink.com slash find a doula. So we are so excited to have Nicole's story on our Instagram and Facebook pages today. So head over to our Instagram page or our Facebook page and let's get a conversation going. Let's talk about your baby's position. How was baby's position during your labor? Did you have to have a C-section because your provider wouldn't deliver your baby breech? Did you have a positioning issue during labor that was fixed? Let's talk about it. I want to hear your experiences and Megan and I are going to go ahead and participate in those discussions as well. So thank you, Nicole, so much for sharing your story with us. We are so grateful for you and the strength that your story is going to bring to so many parents. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.